The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Rogers News. Welcome to Breaking Views Viewsroom. The podcast is going to be about election fever in the UK today. Joining me is George Hay, who's been pouring over the minutiae of the uh, manifestos and has done the same for several elections before and also delved into the referendums of the the UK for both Scotland and Brexit. So it can give us a lot of uh, context on this. We have Neil Unmack, who's gone into the details of some of the Labour's nationalisation policies and also has a good view on funds and money movements and we'll be able to talk about that. Also here with us is Ed Cropley who is responsible for covering telecoms issue and has been looking into some aspects which touch on that sector. And I'm Swaha Pashnaik, Global Economics Editor for Reuters Breaking Views. Welcome. George, let me start off with you. Can you give us an outline of what these two manifestos are about and why you find these particularly interesting in this election? Well, I think um, basically what's happening in this election is that both main parties, the Conservatives and Labour, are kind of ignoring uh, the reality of what's actually going on around them, but in different ways. The Labour manifesto is kind of quite fascinating in a way because it's it's envisaging a huge amount of, a huge uptick in um, spending, probably about 10% increase from where we currently are, which is about 700, 800 billion pounds a year it's a huge kind of as these things go that's a massive increase and what they're 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 planning to kind of um, do all sorts of interesting and potentially really good things however the 80 billion of billion pounds what they which they need to find in order to kind of finance it there's there's a few problems with it first of all there's a, a problem about whether they can actually raise it at all and secondly they are very much focusing it on the corporate sector. The other manifesto, which is the, the Tory one, um, has kind of like the opposite problem, which is it hardly has any kind of interesting policy ideas in it at all. And it's really only kind of raising about three billion as opposed to that 80 billion. Um, so they don't have a problem with the tax raising issue, but they don't have a, any, any kind of interesting policies. That's kind of up to them. But the, the, main, the main problem uh, with the Tory manifesto is that they are completely unrealistic on how easy it's going to be to sort out um, Brexit. The whole thing about voting for Boris Johnson is that if you vote for him, you'll get Brexit done, as he says. And um, that's all well and good, but all that means is that we then go straight into a potentially very, very long wrangle with the European Union about our future trade arrangement. George, can I just ask you, is the Labour position any clearer on Brexit than it was when they were sort of fence-sitting a little while ago? Well... Not really. I mean, they're, they're, I mean, they say they would kind of negotiate a better deal. It's not quite clear how they would do that. And they also say, more importantly, that they would then put it to the people. But Jeremy Corbyn, uh, the leader, has a bit of a problem because he doesn't want to be seen to be too pro-Remain, um, probably because he isn't in favour of Remain at all. And therefore, he's, um, he's kind of placed to remain neutral, which um, is quite easy to attack. Great, thank you. And so some of the spending measures are very traditional Labour sort of ideas about, you know, 
NHS, which is the National Health Service, which is free at delivery, at point of delivery in the UK. There's more on education, infrastructure, all sorts of things. One of the things that Labour wants to do, however, which is interesting and particularly radical, as you said in this radical manifesto, is nationalisation. Neil, do you want to take us over some of the ideas? Sure. Well, what um, what Labour appears to want to do is to make sure that more key assets are controlled and held by the state. Um, so really it's trying to roll, roll back many of the privatisations that Margaret Thatcher did during the 1980s. So that means in particular nationalising the water sector, uh, nationalising train operators, nationalising the electricity network. And quite interestingly, the list of things that Labour wants to nationalise keeps growing. So relatively recently, they came up with the idea of nationalising the open reach part of the UK, mob- um, the UK telecom network. In some ways, this is their most radical, the most radical aspect of their, of their manifesto, um, in that it involves essentially the state either paying an awful lot of money to the current owners or effectively um, taking those assets from the current owners um, at below the market price. It's quite interesting in that that is in itself an extremely controversial thing from, from a market's perspective, from the shareholder's perspective. It's probably not that controversial as far as many voters are concerned. I doubt really that there is that much opposition to the idea that, for example, water companies should be um, in the state's hands. So there's an interesting tension there between uh, what the public thinks and what the markets think. Um, of course, it's quite unlikely that Labour will get a majority but were it to do so, um, there would clearly be a big fight between the government and the current owners of those assets. Yeah, and, and I think one, one thing that's quite important here is that um, you do see a lot of kind of coverage saying, oh, it's going to cost, cost them 200, 300 billion or something to, to, to take out these... Um, to take out these assets and take them um, public. But that's, that's misleading in a way in that you do get an asset with it, which will then, you will then get the cash flows from. And um, it's, quite, it's not per se a bad thing to do that. What would be a bad thing is if, they, if uh, Labour were to nationalise things, these things at um, substantially below market price, which would affect kind of foreign, com- uh, kind of foreign investor confidence and interest in the UK. And have we, we've seen a bit of positioning ahead of this about holding companies from a couple of energy firms. What do you make of that? Can you tell us what, what they've done and what you make of it? Well, you've seen kind of uh, a couple talk about um, shifting their head office to, to, to Europe or to, or to, to wherever. Um, that is a potential way around it. But um, like, as Neil says, I mean... <laughs> it's fairly unlikely that uh, Labour will probably get in anyway. So this is probably a bit of a, a, bit of a kind of insurance policy. But it may also be only a limited insurance policy. And in I think the idea is that companies will relocate their holding company to a jurisdiction that will give them greater leverage if they ever have to sue the government. Now, they, you know, that may come to pass and it may give them some, some degree of greater legal strength. However, the price at which Labour nationalises these assets will really depend a lot also on the regulatory framework that the government puts in place. And therefore, it's theoretically possible for the value of of those assets to be driven down in a way that simply moving your headquarters to another country doesn't actually protect you much. Right. And it's not just about nationalisation outright. There's another policy which was um, supposed to appeal to voters. I'm not sure it's given Labour the bump up in poll ratings. This is ratings. Free, free broadband. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to talk us through that? Yeah, well, this is the most surprising and, and really radical of all the, the proposals that have come out of the, the Labour Party. And as George is saying, when you, when you nationalise or take into public ownership a, a company, then you still derive um, revenue from that. So it's not all bad from a 
from a sort of a cash flow perspective for the government. But the Labour proposal on telecoms is effectively to give away broadband access for free, which means that there is no revenue going to be deriving to the state at all from a, sort of a nationwide broadband access network which would be an incredibly um, damaging drain on the public purse. So you've got the cost to, to buy this thing from private hands, and then you've got the cost to subsidise free network access for everybody. And, then and do you know roughly how much this was going to cost, or can you remember? Is this included in the manifesto, I should ask, George? Is this included in the costings, or would this be additional because it's so hard to quantify at the moment? Yeah, the, 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 because it's only a part of British Telecom, what now called BT, and it was called British Telecom in in the 1980s before Margaret Thatcher went and privatised it. Um, so now what Labour wants to do is to take the, the network infrastructure, essentially like the national grid in the electricity world, this is taking the network infrastructure out of BT and taking it back into state ownership. Um, so there's going to be a big argument over price. I mean, how do you, do you take it on a certain multiple of its EBITDA? Do you take it on discounted cash flow analysis? Do you, or do you just take it um, under legislation, which would be incredibly damaging to Britain's reputation, as George says? So there's going to be a big argument over price, and there's going to be a big legal battle from rival operators like Liberty and Virgin Media, who will effectively see their own businesses, the cable business and internet businesses in the UK, um, reduced to nothing by the free broadband access subsidised by the government. And I think the kind of wider problem with all the Labour pledges is that it it just seems to be extremely scattergun. Um, Like there's a lot, like I say, a lot of their ideas to do with kind of tax treatment of capital relative to income and a lot of the kind of minutiae are stuff that um, we probably think is actually quite a good idea anyway but it's just they're trying to be all things to all men and, and I think the point is that they are they are kind of in a way not making too many choices they're just kind of saying uh, we're going to give these amazing policies to everyone and I think the, the point about being an effective um, Prime Minister and being in power is that you've got to make hard choices and they are they are not really making them. Yeah, but they're, they're in a difficult position because of the Brexit issue, aren't they? they? They desperately need to find some way of diverting people's attention from Brexit because yeah. their own position is ambiguous and the Tory party is marshalling all of the Leave votes to, to, to essentially yeah. back it. And so the more they can just point to, say to people, don't worry about Brexit, these are the reasons why you'll be better off, the, the better chance yeah, they stand. Yeah, and in a way, in a way they're, they're both kind of learning... A valid lesson from the previous election in 2017, but not necessarily the right lesson. Um, the Tories' lesson that they've learned is that don't include any policies in your in your manifesto. And what, why was that from last time? George? Well, they tried to kind of do something. Um, they, they made a fatal mistake of trying to do something intellectually in- interesting in a manifesto where they tried to kind of tackle the UK's looming social care problem and they did it in a controversial way. This is the so-called dementia attack. Yeah, and so um, and that just that that was one of the key things that lost them the election because everyone suddenly made more money and or lost them the initiative in the election. And um, Labour's Labour's lesson from 2017 is is slightly different in that. They, their manifesto launch in 2017 was assumed to be a kind of it was it was imagined that it would be a kind of you know overspending disaster and actually it was probably it was about half of what they're spending proposing to spend now and it was kind of relatively balanced and measured and it was certainly no more crazy than the Tory one and um, they've kind of taken the lesson of like, right we'll just 
people seem to like that. We got 40% of the vote, so let's put the foot down now and uh, you know let's kind of turn the amp up to 11 and go and go nuts. And um, and unfortunately, that's uh, that will probably lose them a lot of kind of middle ground voters who even though they kind of support what they a lot of what they want to do much more than they would the Tories uh, will just think that they're not really, uh, not serious and, and that's and that's a bit of a shame for them <laughs> I mean what's been interesting about the financial markets is despite sort of a whacking up of spending pledges from the main opposition party um, and even the government turning on the taps the gilts market the UK bond market has been relatively stable I mean I presume that has uh, something to do Neil with the fact that people aren't expecting labor to come in and with nearly 100 billion extra spending but also that this issue of brexit isn't quite Quite decided, mm-hmm. and so if you get the economy cratering, they'll be expecting more asset purchases and uh, interest rate cuts from the Bank of England. I mean, is there anything else going on? Do you think about the landscape, the market landscape in general, which is keeping a calm on guilt? Mm-hmm. Well, it seems relatively subdued, uh, as, you, as you point out, and I think it's not. It doesn't look like at the moment that the, the market is really thinking much about what happens next year. So, what if Boris Johnson gets a majority? What happens in a, in a trade negotiation with Europe? How does that work out? And it's quite clear that the risks of an abrupt, what we call no-deal Brexit, where the UK is unable to agree a trade deal, could could materialise um, towards the end of next year. And so the current calm may not last. Are you getting a similar message from the stock market um, about Labour's chances? I mean, for instance, with the nationalisation of, of broadband, um, British Telecom share price, I think it lost 1% on the day. I mean, really marginal decline given the threat, the fundamental threat to its business. And that, that does give you a, a guide really to, to what the, the city thinks about Labour's prospects. And so can I ask you, I mean, Brexit has been something we have all been talking about, writing about people overseas are very curious about. Is this a Brexit election? The manifesto pledges, what we're talking about is very different. George, you touched on this. Let me ask you to start off with, how much do you think Brexit is going to make a difference in voting intentions? Or are there other things people are worrying about? Um, I mean, I think it's, even though... It hasn't really been about Brexit. It was flagged at the start as being about the, the Brexit election. And um, I think that what's happened with the Tory manifesto is that they've tried to... They've noticed that Labour have kind of, with some degree of success, have steered it away from being the Brexit election. And so that's why they've kind of removed all the policies from their from their manifesto. And, um, and all they ever say is it's about getting Brexit done, getting Brexit done. And I think this, this kind of goes back to the missed opportunity from the Labour point of view, because I think in, in trying to kind of just drag it away from Brexit and dra- away from attention on their slightly confusing policy on Brexit, um, they've probably gone too much the other way. And I think they may have lost people, people's, a lot of people's support. And I think even if you are, um, even if you are kind of anti-Brexit um, or worried about Brexit, there's, I suppose you can always convince yourself that um, if Boris Johnson gets a large enough majority, um, he might be in some way able to kind of face down the um, kind of more crazy right-wing um, end of his party and tack back to a kind of less damaging future arrangement with the EU. I mean, I think that's quite, it's quite possible that does happen. However, you know, 
<laughs> you're still taking a big gamble on that. No one knows what's going to happen. Very rightly said. And as you end on that point, no one knows what's going to happen. Uh, guessing what's going to happen in an election, even when you have the polls with you the night before, is hard to tell. But let me ask, put you, the three of you, on the spot and say, ask you each what you think the outcome will be a Tory win, a Labour win, or another hung uh, parliament with a minority government. Neil, I'll start with you. Uh, I, I fear that the, um, the Tory strategists have correctly realised that the Remain vote will be split between Labour and the Liberal Democrats, and the Tories will marshal a substantial portion of the Leave votes, and that it is ultimately an election about Brexit, and therefore I think it looks like we are going to get a Tory majority. George? I'd say Tory majority of 30 or something. Ed, last word with you. Yeah, narrow Tory majority. I think the fundamental message, people are so bored of Brexit that even though they know there's going to be a... um, that there are going to be hurdles to climb in the future and, and hurdles to to get over in the future. They just want they want to pretend that the first chapter at least is over. Great. Thank you all three very much for that. I'm sure we'll be doing more after the elections. This is Swaha Pashnaik in London for Reuters Breaking Views with Neil Unmack, George Hay and Ed Cropley. Thanks for joining us.